0: Hello, hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Stimulus Podcast. My name is Rob Orman, and for those of you new to the show, I'm a 20 year veteran of the emergency department and now coach physicians in all stages of their careers. What we do on this podcast is break down ideas, strategies, tactics, habits, mindsets to help you work through feeling burnt and stuck. But it's not just working through the negative. It's helping you thrive in your career, excel in leadership, and feel that you are kicking ass in work and life. You know, things like getting home on time, feeling psyched about going into work. Don't just suck it up. Think differently. If you want to learn more about what we do and chat about working together with one-on-one coaching, you can contact me through my website, roborman.com. An announcement here before we get to the show. Registration for the next cohort of the Flameproof course has just opened, and that cohort will begin February 1st, 2024. What is the Flameproof course if you have yet to hear about it? This is a six month intensive real time course put on by my coaching partner, Scott Weingart, and myself. And in the Flameproof course are the things that we should have learned in medical training, such as tools for career longevity, self-mastery, and mitigating burnout. And medical training is amazing. It molds you into an excellent clinician, but gives few tools for retaining joy and equanimity throughout a career. And the flameproof course teaches an anti-burnout curriculum. Over the course of six months, we meet every other week. And since this is a course that is run in real time, there's only two cohorts per year. The first one, the one that's going on right now has sessions that begin at 10 a.m. Pacific. And our next cohort sessions will begin at 5 p.m. Pacific. And the reason that's important is because each one of those start times is made to accommodate those living on various parts of the globe. If you wanna learn more about the flameproof course, I will have a link in the show notes to this pod. That will take you right there. Take you right to the learning more place that you'd want to get to. Or if you want to just sign up, you can do that there too. Oh yeah. Today's episode is a bit of a divergence from our usual fare, but we did have something like this a few months ago, and that is a real life coaching session. This is a real doc with a real challenge, who wanted to work through it. And what that challenge is, is he felt he was spinning his wheels mid shift in the emergency department. He was overwhelmed, getting behind, and in the end, getting home later than he wanted, and also just absorbing a lot of stress. I mean, this is such a common situation. I work with so many clients on this. You know, in the beginning of a shift, it's all beautiful intake. You don't really have any tasks other than evaluating patients, you just feel fresh as a daisy getting things done but in the middle of a shift now you have that same intake you also have disposition you have phone calls you have ambulances you have procedures results coming in conversations and on and on there is truly more than one person can do at any moment and on top of that how do i keep up with my charting i mean it seems impossible but it's not so what do you do we're going to find out today and our client is dr Britt long you may recognize that name as he is one of the most published authors in the field of emergency medicine. He's also a co-founder of the emdocs.net education powerhouse. But in addition to all that, Britt works shifts. He sees patients. He works in both academics and the community, and he's really thrown it down. And just like many, he sometimes feels like he's drowning. And I'll say before we get into this, you know, this, this session is a one-off. You're just going to hear us working through the development of a framework and approach. Since adopting this and experimenting with it, Britt has been consistently getting home on time and feeling way less stress during his shifts. And I was asking him about it. It's like, well, okay, so what was it? And he said, you know, the, the the things that we came up with have really helped, but mostly it's just having a plan because when you don't have a plan, that's when you spin your wheels. When you do have a plan, you know what to do next and things actually get done. Well, let's see how it goes with Brit. What do you want to dig into today?
1: I think the biggest issue I'm struggling with right now is shift efficiency.
2: Mm.
1: What I'm finding is I'm doing great the first half of my shift. I'm keeping up seeing patients. I'm doing a good job with managing my consultant interactions dispoing the patients, but then something happens, usually around the midpoint of the shift. It's either a resuscitation, a procedure, maybe it's multiple EMSs that all arrive at the same time. Basically, the wheels fall off the bus at that time. And from that time onward, I'm behind on charts. I'm behind on patient dispositions. I feel like I'm overwhelmed just trying to keep up. And then that means that I basically leave around an hour after my shift has ended and I don't get paid for that extra hour. So I'm coming home late. It's impacting family time. And my goal is to find some way to improve what I can do with my efficiency on shift. Maybe I'm missing something in that first half of the shift. I'm not sure if it's a mindset thing. I could be charting too much. I do chart a lot. I probably over chart, so that's another issue, but that's my big issue with shifts right now.
0: Just to summarize, mid shift, you're hypersaturated. It's different than the beginning of a shift where it's all intake. It's different than the end of the shift where there's no intake and it's all output. So middle of the shift, there's still intake. You've got all these things to do. You're reviewing all your results got procedures to do. You're also having dispos. People are asking you, why, why isn't this patient disposed? And you have two AMs coming in Then you've got a consultant call. Then you actually have that procedure to schedule and you documentation to do, and you're going to be behind on your charts. And you're thinking about how upset people are going to be when you get home.
1: Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> so it sounds like it is that mid-shift hypersaturation point that you're talking yes. about. And there's, yes. and you've already described several things going on. You put in the subtext of documentation, but there is this midpoint, overwhelm, spinning your wheels. What do I do? And you said, all these things to do at once. We'll address that because foreshadowing, you can only do one thing at once. Mm -hmm. We'll tease that apart. Now you mentioned something else in there, which I think really talks about the importance of this, which is getting home to your family. Mm-hmm. Staying hours after your shift could be insignificant or it could be really important and it sounds like to you that's really where the voltage comes in this mm-hmm. issue. That sound about right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't want to walk into a 10-hour shift and know that it's going to end up being 11, 12 hours because my charts aren't done or something happened at the end of the shift that is going to make me have to stay longer.
0: Okay, so here we've got this situation, this midshift overwhelm, hypersaturation, also documentation falls apart. Mm-hmm. Super common. What do you want to come away with after this session? What is just the thing that you're going to pull out of your back pocket that we construct here that at the end of this, we'll know oh, that was a great coaching session.
1: Either a reset in mindset or potentially, some sort of way of approaching that intentionally and not just being there to survive towards the end of my shift. I want to flourish kind of in that chaos. I want to recognize what's going on and intentionally know what my next steps are to make sure everything runs as smoothly as I can make it run.
0: So, we've got two goals there.
1: I make your job hard.
0: No, it's... Uh... Now I'm going to make your job hard. All right. Let's identify what's the thing that you think will help you the most. And it may be, as we talk through this, it changes. So you've got a, a reset in mindset and also an approach or a structure to this. What do you think is the most important thing for you to dig into today?
1: Biggest win for me would be the approach. Okay. I think,
0: yeah. All right. So an, an approach for this moment of Mm -hmm. mid-shift over one. What would be different in your life having worked through this or having an approach to this?
1: When I go beyond a set time, so like say a shift is 10 hours and I'm there for 11 hours, that is a issue for me because it feels like it's eating into something else that I should be doing. And that's for me, family time. Like after a shift, I want to go spend time with my family. And uh, it's causing unhappiness
0: ultimately. You describe this angst about wasting time that this precious resource is not being used properly. Mm -hmm. What does your wife think about this?
1: My wife is surprisingly more comfortable with me arriving home late than I am. She knows my personality that I Want to do the best thing for my patients. She knows that I chart a lot. She is more accepting of it up to about an hour. Once I start getting into like over an hour late, then it starts becoming an issue. But she is very supportive in everything I do. She is amazing. I'm very, very lucky. It's honestly affecting me more than her.
0: I don't have an actual statistic for this, but I do have a lot of anecdote <laughs> to, to support this. <laughs> what if I said, A national survey has shown that physicians who document, like Britt Long, on average, stay an hour and 45 minutes after the end of each shift. How would you think about getting out an hour after your shift's over if you knew that?
1: I want to say that I would feel good about it because I'm beating the average, but at the same time, I'm still getting out late. So it's still impacting time with family. So I have two alter egos there.
0: Okay. Okay. Let's just look at this from a few different angles. In this particular emergency department, how long before the official end of your shift? Your paid time. Although it's all RVU, right? So that you're, you're paid only for the patients you pick up.
1: I get an hourly set rate. Okay. It's not a lot, it's primarily RVU based, and you don't turn over patients for the most part. Mm,
0: so there's no sign s- out.
1: Yeah. You have that big intake portion. And then you're trying to kind of wrap it up that last hour, two hours. But if you're having to transfer patients, that could definitely cause major delays, especially if you don't have beds in the hospital. Mm -hmm. If you end up trying to pick up some patients because, you know, you have everything under wrap, you're still there, you're like, I'll go see, you know, one or two extra real simple things. And you've been there. An ESI-4... Or that green chart is not necessarily a green chart. And then you're kind of
0: stuck. <laughs> yeah, that, that ankle pain. Yeah. Ankle is the classic. Uh-huh. It ends up yep. being septic arthritis. Exactly. Often, exactly. But, yeah. yeah. Or, or it's like, a deep trap. Oh yeah. Yeah. So how long before the end of your scheduled time are you expected to pick up patients? When's the cutoff? It's
1: variable. And it's very dependent on the person. I used to pick up up to about an hour, and that was even complicated patients, which definitely made things worse. That definitely compounded how long I had to stay. Because by the time you have labs, imaging, even if it is a super efficient technician who's doing your CTs, you have a great radiologist, you have a great lab, you're still not going to have stuff back for 40 minutes. And then if you have to end up admitting the patients, you have a call out to someone, Even if they're fast, it's going to be five minutes. And that's best case scenario. Honestly, most of the time, that is not the case. So, it's easily two hours. And if you have to transfer the patient, then it's easily three hours.
0: So, now, your last shift. What is it that you use as your cutoff?
1: So, last night, I used two hours for my cutoff. And I was able to leave about 40 minutes after my shift. I had a bunch of charts that I had kind of put in a couple sentences on but they were not great. I had already discharged a bunch of patients. I had to come back to those charts. So, that's basically what kept me. I had all my consultants done. I had all of my patients admitted appropriately. I had everything disposed by the official end of my shift but I ended up saying to do my charts because I hate leaving charts to do later at home. Drives me insane.
0: So Britt is bringing up a few areas, a few different things that we could potentially work on as far as helping him get home on time. What I'm going to do is just mirror all of this back to him to make sure we're still working on what he said he wanted to focus on for this session. Because sometimes as you talk through it, you start really thinking about it and processing it, and it changes. Let's see where we go. You're talking about a couple of different things here. One is closing time.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And how do you want those last few hours of your shift to look? And I think we can dig into that. And that is definitely something to structure is how you approach your closing time. And then also how that fits in with the ethos of the group. And it's different for everyone. You know, some mm-hmm. groups you'll be picking up patients to the end, but then that's a sign out culture.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And then we've got mid shift overwhelm. So I want to make sure that we're still cool for mid-shift overwhelm or do you want to shift more to closing time?
1: I'd rather do mid-shift overwhelm. Okay. Because that's where I think a lot of this stems from is I just get behind and then everything just compounds, pushing everything towards the back end of the shift. Okay.
0: And there is a mindset here, which is your expectation versus your aspiration. Mm -hmm. You have this expectation that you're going to get out an hour or within an hour after the end of your shift. Mm -hmm. But we all know that there's only so many things that you can control within that. Mm -hmm. I just want to plant the seed for that. And this is something for you. This is something for your wife is understand that that is aspirational. Mm -hmm. It's an aspiration to get out an hour before your shift is over. If it is your expectation, because there are aspects of that that you can't control, such as you mentioned, if you want to transfer a patient, you have to call 17 different hospitals mm-hmm. to accept and then well, this, 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 and that. Yeah. That is beyond your control. Yeah. So expectation versus aspiration, we, we need a polarity reversal. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the framework for midshift to overwhelm, let me see how that lands with you.
1: I like it talking about it now when I'm not on shift. Mm -hmm. It's always more of a struggle to kind of reset that when you're in that moment. I really do like that. I'm just going to have to be intentional and maybe put like a reminder. I'll be like a piece of paper on my computer (laughs) (laughs) and just have it ready to go.
0: And if this only exists within your own head and you're not discussing it with the other person who's involved with this, your wife then it'll go nowhere. Yeah, And I'll tell you, Britt, this is hard and it is continual work. Mm -hmm. That aspect, that inner dialogue of, ah, I'm getting out an hour and I should be, I should be out an hour before is going to continue to pop up. So it's constant work and it's constant attention to maintain this.
1: And then, you know, I see those docs and they get out right on time. Their charts are done. They have like, one psychiatric turnover or, you know, like no turnovers. How do they do this? When I, my shift ends and I'm staying extra.
0: So we've got this goal of a framework for an intentional approach to midshift overwhelm, to flourish and not just survive. And the aspirational goal here, or the downstream effect of being able to get out of your shift within an hour after your shift is scheduled to be done. Absolutely. And so there's structure to be built here for an approach to the overwhelm. But what I'm hearing is that documentation is one of the main things that comes off the rails. Yes. This time.
1: Absolutely. Right. Yeah.
0: Anything. There's too much to do. I, I, I've i got this other thing to do and I can't document.
1: Yeah. So I end up trying to free beds open because I want to open beds. So, I have to dispo that patient, but I end up not having that chart completely finished. Mm. I have the disposition portion filled out. I maybe have a HPI done, maybe a line on the MDM just so if I have to come back, I can remember what was going on. But then that chart is essentially unfinished. Okay. And so, when I've dispoed all these patients so I can get more patients back into the beds, then I have completely new charts to start. And I'm already starting behind on my others.
0: So in this point of midshift overwhelm, let's identify the trigger for when we initiate this framework. And it's possible that this is what you use for your whole shift, but we want to apply it to this moment. Okay. How do you know that this is happening?
1: It can be an inward feeling of that overwhelm. Often it will be when I sit down and I run my list and I see, oh man, I've not started charts on these patients. And I have these patients waiting on nothing. I can dispo them. I've not put orders in on these patients and two more patients were just roomed. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at my board, I'm like, oh no, I am now at that point where I'm completely saturated. That's usually the trigger for me.
0: One thing that can be really helpful with creating any kind of framework like this is to give the triggering moment or the deployment criteria, or the inclusion criteria, however you want to frame it, a name. And naming it helps to anchor, but it also helps to diffuse a little bit and helps you really see this clear delineation of before and after, a clear distinction of when this is happening. So there's all of these different things. Let's put a name to it because we've got to title it so that it has meaning for you, and then you can also identify it when it's happening and then as we as we're talking here we can also just refer to it as this so what should we call this moment of Uh, let's
1: see what about like the kraken
0: did you say the kraken like yeah like all those tentacles and everything the the (laughs) kraken (laughs) because like there's all these
1: things to do and you're like just getting like overwhelmed by this horrible sea creature or i don't know what were you thinking?
0: <laughs> I'm not thinking anything, man. This is, this is your thing. All right. <laughs> All right. So release the Kraken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know the feeling, and you may even want to just bring a picture of the Kraken and put it on your <laughs> desktop there. So let's, let's look at what's happening now when the Kraken is released. Do you have the ability in this ED to huddle with your team, or is it too spread out?
1: It's pretty spread out. It is possible though.
0: Or at least maybe some of your team or at least the charge Mm -hmm. nurse. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. The charge nurse sits like 10 feet from us in in the dock area.
0: So right now, when the Kraken is released, release the Kraken. What is your current framework of, okay, here's how I'm going to order things. Here's the tasks that I do.
1: So if it's really bad, I'm super overwhelmed. It's just like a spinning wheel. And it's just trying to exit that spinning wheel. And my approach right now is I will take one thing and do that one thing and then move on to the next thing. And so, I pr- try to prioritize what needs to be done now and I'm just going to do it step by step. So, obviously, if it's a resuscitation or it's some sort of thing that the patient absolutely needs right now, like say they're about to go upstairs and they need a central line. Well, that's going to take priority over a disposition potentially. If it's opening beds, I'll try and get patients out. If there's a rate limiting step, I need to keep the entire department flowing. So it's like multiple things that I'm trying to figure out. And that's another thing is when you're in that moment, what do you
0: prioritize? We are about to develop your priority list, your rank order list of tasks. Now, you just said something which may be a good first step, which would be stabilizing and managing critical patients. We have this sense that people can't wait. Nothing can wait. Nothing can wait. Nothing can wait. That is untrue. And we also prioritize every patient need, even minor needs, over our Mm -hmm. own needs. Mm -hmm. So that Tylenol takes priority over you documenting. You think everything takes priority over me because it's just so much. So layer one, the Kraken has been released and you think, let me look and see, are there any critical or potentially critical patients that need attention or stabilization? Makes okay. Good on layer one?
1: Yep. Layer one sounds perfect.
0: So next, one of the stressors of this moment is that there is intake. There's multiple ambulances and mm-hmm. we'd love to swarm every ambulance mm-hmm. that comes yep. in and just, oh yep. yeah, here we that's not realistic because there's just too much to do in the beginning. of are sure that those first five ambulances, oh, they're swarmed like crazy. <laughs> but now, <laughs> that might not be possible. So we have patients to be seen and patients to be dispoed. And there's the adage of dispo as king because you need to open up these rooms. But really, this needs to fit into your own workflow. Here we have layer one: stabilizing and managing critical or potentially critical patients. Now. Layer two, as you work through this list, what feels right to you? Is it, okay, let me work on dispos or let me get things going on these new patients and then attend to this other stuff?
1: What feels right to me is getting things going on those other patients because I want to move the entire department
0: forward. we have attended to the critical patients and now there's, you know, a couple of ambulances have come in, people have been brought in from the waiting room. There's seven people to be seen. And there's, of course, an internal triage of, oh, like this one looks like a CHF versus, you know, this is a suture removal. How many people do you want to assess before moving on to other tasks, knowing that there will be other people to assess in the future? Three. Three patients.
1: I like to do three at a time.
0: Okay. So layer one, stabilization. Layer two, assess three new patients, get things moving. Mm -hmm. And, Are you able to put orders in in the room or do you have to come back to your control center?
1: Usually I have to come back to the computer, the control center.
0: Yeah. And do you you have a workstation on wheels that you can push around?
1: I could, but it doesn't really have dictation software unless I use my phone. So I I could do that. Mm -hmm. I haven't in the past, but that's a potential option.
0: Could you connect your phone to Dragon and Mm -hmm. document even in the room?
1: Potentially. I will be honest though, I feel super uncomfortable doing that with patients because I like to sit or kneel with patients. I like to be at their eye level Mm -hmm. and I like to devote my full attention to them without electronic devices in the room.
0: One of the things we want to integrate into this is documentation into the flow. And some of this will take you out of your comfort zone because this framework is going to be new. We don't want to add too many things, but let's see how we can put in an H&P and a skeletal MDM on all of these new patients. Okay. Is there like a bedside computer where you can put in orders?
1: There is a computer on wheels. I could bring that into the room. Yeah.
0: Okay. So if you can walk into the room, hey, I am Dr. Long. Thanks for waiting. I'm just going to open up my workstation here so that we can put in some orders later. Give me just a sec while I log in. Okay. What's going on today? or whatever. And they start giving it HMP. You're not engaging with their computer at all. You're just kind of taking it all in. And then if it's all right with you, I'm going to start your chart and I'm going to do this in front of you and let me know if I'm missing anything. This is really uncomfortable the first mm-hmm. 50 times you do it. <laughs> it just takes reps. So here you go. You, If you can connect your phone and this, this is just going to be one option. You connect your phone and you dictate in the room. and. Mm-hmm. 54-year-old woman presents the emergency department with right side of pleuritic chest pain. And then you ask the patient, anything I missed in there? And they're like, wow, you were talking so fast. I don't even know. Okay. Now I'm going to put in your orders. I'm ordering a chest x-ray and some blood tests. And then you set your expectations. Now you have an H&P and skeletal MDM on that patient. It does take a little more time and other people are going to wait. The question is, do you front load your documentation? or do you backload? And what happens when the Kraken is released is that's when the backloading starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So throwing down an h on that patient, putting in the orders in front of that patient, and we're going to look at a couple options here, and then you go on to the next one. I've just given Britt some suggestions to fit in documentation to build this into the framework of what happens during mid-shift overwhelm. But... This really has to work for Britt. It has to be possible with the resources in his ED, as well as his cognitive flow. We're going to pause for just a moment to check in with Brit and see how all of this sits with him. So let me pause and see, does that sound feasible?
1: Yeah, it's feasible. Okay. It's going to be an adjustment,
0: like you said. What needs to happen for you to have your phone linked to your hospital's Dragon?
1: Anymore? It's very simple. I already have an app on my phone. Because sometimes if we have APPs, computers are kind of at a premium. So sometimes there's other computers that don't have the actual microphone. So you can just use your phone and you have a power mic app okay. given to you.
0: That's ready to go live.
1: Yeah. Okay. I used it last night.
0: Wonderful. One of the bits of discomfort here is that you are documenting in real time when there's other stuff to do. Mm -hmm. The mindset shift here is, what is the benefit of documenting in real time? Beyond all of the quality assurance stuff, this is a procedure. And this is a procedure that you do for you. Laceration repair, you do it for the patient. So let's just look at that moment. What's going to get in the way of that happening in real time? Whenever you do something like this, anticipating potential barriers is so important. And what we're doing is we're setting up anchors or touch points where Brit can organize his actions as well as keep up with documentation. Now, the documentation part, we're talking through it sounding great, but there's going to be internal and external barriers. So what we want to do is identify them Before this gets tested in real time, and think about strategies to work through them. So, we had left this off asking Britt what's going to get in the way of doing documentation.
1: Interruptions like EKGs, MS arrivals, orders, nurses coming asking for this, which I also have an issue with, like, you know, having them wait for just a minute. That's a separate issue.
0: If you are doing something and you're in the middle of a dictation, which is a uber-focused procedure, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. tell me what you think of this. Look over at whoever's coming up. It might be an APP who has a patient to present. It might be a nurse who has a question. And those are things you need to give your full attention to as well. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it and you turn and say, give me just a moment to finish this. I'll be right with you. What do you think of that?
1: I actually... Love that idea. And I started doing it a little bit after your flame-proof workshop. Yeah. And then I went back to my old way just because I wasn't intentional about keeping up with doing it. Mm. And now I'm back to just letting people interrupt me. And it actually did work super well that first like two weeks I was doing it. (laughs) And then I just didn't let it. I just didn't keep doing it, unfortunately. But I, I do like it. I just have to be intentional about doing it.
0: Were you a comic book fan growing up? A little bit. I don't know, Marvel movies, all that? Nah, I'm more of
1: the DC guy. Oh, that's right. Even with like all the <laughs> stuff, yeah. All
0: right, well, you know, Captain America. Yeah. Captain America's whole thing is a shield. Yeah. You've got your Captain America shield. The interruption comes, you have your interruption shield. Now, of course, they have to be able to break through that. It's like, oh no, there's actually a stroke that just came into room one. Yeah. <laughs> Something that is really powerful with this interruption shield which is you know doing it kindly of oh give me just a moment i'll be right with you is having them understand what you're doing Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Mm
0: is oh i just i need to focus on my documentation and i want to give you my full attention preloading the expectation that you will give them a delay because they see you just sitting there talking and documenting and think this is wasting my time and you have this whole internal dialogue and You don't know what they're thinking, but if that is agreed upon beforehand, and also that they can break in, it's almost like having a safe word, then that's okay. Mm -hmm. Captain America shield about interruptions. So I would, I'd almost like draw this on the back of your, I wish I'd give you a (laughs) tattoo on the back of your hand, of your shield and just like put it up. Actually, no, that'd be rude. What else is going to get in the way besides interruptions?
1: There's also that socialization aspect. For everyone who knows me, like I I am pretty introverted on shift, I'm extroverted. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we we work with some amazing people and it's just fun to kind of hang out on shift. Yeah. And sometimes, I am not good about being intentional about, hey, I need to stop talking. That was two minutes that I could have used to do this entire chart. It doesn't seem like a lot, one chart. But when you keep doing it over and over again, soon it's four. Soon it's five, six and it's like all of a sudden, you're at the end of your shift and you're like, wow, that's six charts that I have not touched because I spent time talking with other people when I should have been intentional about staying up on my documentation. I try to do a lot better about that. It's great to catch up but at that cracking stage, it is go time and I have to be very intentional about staying on what I'm doing.
0: We've got our first layer of stabilizing and managing critical patient, a second layer of assessing three new patients and putting down an H&P on each Mm -hmm. one of them in real time. Mm -hmm. And socialization is a barrier. That is one of the great things about working in emergency departments, working with your team and like you work with them for years and they're great people. When people leave clinical medicine, that's one of the things you really miss is, oh, mm-hmm. man, I loved that camaraderie and the team. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I have yet to meet a clinician who says, ah, working with my team is the worst thing <laughs> ever. It's like, it is one of the great features of yeah. the job. Yeah. Here we have the Kraken emergency plan. And so socialization, what's the approach? What's going to work for you as far as reminding yourself, this is Kraken time.
1: I don't want to be rude and I love my colleagues but I think I'm going to have to say like, I'm super sorry. I just need to do a couple charts. I can catch up in either a certain amount of time or maybe like towards the end of my shift when I have everything else under wraps and I've been able to get all my charts done, I have everyone disbowed. But see, then the problem is that might be their cracking stage because then it's like their midpoint of the shift. <laughs>
0: That explanation actually was about the time of a whole H and P. I was just taking a note on what you said. I'm super sorry. I just need to get to a couple of charts. How about that? Yeah, that's great. So now we've got patients to dispo, and consultants to call, and things to do. This is serious butt time. Time on the tush, on the cush, in front of the computer. Here is the time to results review, to run the board, call consultants, and huddle with your team to prioritize because dispo is about to happen. So layer three, and we'll see if this all works for you. Batching results, running the board, team Mm -hmm. huddle. Team huddle must happen with the Kraken if it can, or at least charge nurse huddle to even just say it out loud and have them start helping you. And then calling consultants. To think about that as layer
1: three. Yeah, I love it. Okay. Because that will address where are we waiting or like what's holding back a patient to. So it addresses them coming and potentially stays off further interruptions as well because now they know the plan.
0: One of the big challenges here on this moment, because there's actually a lot of steps in the third layer, but it, it's all back when you're at the mothership. Mm-hmm you know, you're just, you're not having intake, you're not doing procedures. Here's my computer time. You can put out eight consultant and hospital calls and they all come back at once. So how many consultant calls at a time do you want to put into play?
1: I honestly feel pretty comfortable with like four to five because I know most of the time they're not going to call back all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And if it's the hospitalists, a lot of times they'll be taking Two or even three of those patients. Mm-hmm. So at, we can just knock off three of those patients right with that one consultant, the hospitalist. If it gets over that, then you run into the risk of them all calling back at the same time, which like I, I hate keeping consultants waiting because mm-hmm. you know, their time is valuable and they're assisting in the care of the patients. And if they called back quickly, They're respecting my time because they called back very quickly. I want to be able to talk to them quickly as well.
0: All right. So we've run the board, huddle, put consultant calls out there. And now it's time for dispo. Mm -hmm. And it does happen in the middle of the shifts that you have six dispos at once. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Discharge outside the ED to go home, to transfer, to admit. Yep. So in this fourth layer, this fourth Kraken layer, how many dispos do you want to address? I would shoot for three. Let's stress test this, three. So patient dispo and three, which includes any patient leaving the ED. I don't want to get it too granular right now because we're just making a rough framework and we'll have room to play because it mm-hmm. could be, all right, we prioritize admissions or we prioritize transfers, or we prioritize to start from the ED because that opens up a bed. I'm going to leave that to you for now. We're just going to say yeah. DISPO 3. At this point, when you DISPO a patient, this is your second touch point for documentation. So here you have your NSTEMI who's getting admitted to CCU or wherever they get admitted in that shop. You're going to document and... You may not fully complete it. It may be something that you want to you know read over, but to the best of your ability, your results reviewing, because mm-hmm. you've already results reviewed, because when you look at what's back, then you know who to dispo. Mm-hmm. So you finish it up and you close a loop on the encounter, and then you free up the mental space to focus on new patients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At this time, this is, you know, we we're talking about doing intake and throwing down HMP. This will be the absolute hardest moment to document in real time.
1: Yes. And this is often the time where I let that chart just lag. And I'm like, I'll do it later. Okay. And that's where I get behind.
0: What's happening there with I'll do it later?
1: So most of the time is this patient's ready to discharge. That patient's admitted. Like I've already, you know, put the bridge orders in or whatever. I'll do the chart later. Mm-hmm. And I'll just let it sit aside. This was made. I can just take that patient off my like mental list for now and come back to that chart. And now I can go do some other task, either see that next patient or manage a phone call, do a procedure, something like that, whatever it would be. So what ends up happening is instead of sitting down and finishing the chart or updating the chart to the best of my ability, I just let it go. Mm. And then I come back to it at the end of shift. And then you're kind of like, oh man, all these charts. I don't remember a lot of this because everything's running together <laughs> at that point. Because I mean, like you just finished a shift. You're tired.
0: I had three 84-year-olds with abdominal pain all <laughs> named Kevin. Or, yeah, or dizziness. Is it in the realm of possible for you to close up documentation on these patients? It, at, at it this is. Time?
1: It is. And honestly, when I've timed myself to complete a chart, it's about 90 seconds to two minutes. It's actually not that long. Even for like sick patients, say it was like that non-semi, you have to chart some critical care time. Even with that kind of chart, it's not super long. It's just being intentional about it and doing the chart at that time instead of letting some other thing come up.
0: Now we're going to have a moment of truth because this is where so many docs get stuck, not completing the chart at the time of dispo, because there is almost always so much else to do. But in the context of this one shift from a time perspective, it doesn't take a ton of time to complete the MDM. So we need an anchor system or really Self accountability or some sort of accountability to make this happen to keep it happening. So, I'm just going to put it right out there. Let's see what Britt comes up with. What is a powerful way or powerful thing that you can put into place to hold yourself accountable to do that chart in real time?
1: I don't know. When I force myself to do it, I get to the end of my shift. I'm like, man, I only have like one chart left, and it's that patient I just disbowed. This is awesome. And then I look back I'm like, oh, I was like super on my game at forcing myself to do this. It's almost kind of like, I don't want to say lazy, but I kind of feel like, eh, I'll just take care of the chart later.
0: You said something in there that I want to pull out and I want us to look at it. Here it is. We're just, we're looking at the, this thing floating between us. I force myself to do it. Yeah. What happens then that is different from the times when you say, eh, I'll just let it later
1: it's my mindset. I'm like, I'm going to do this chart right now. I'm going to sit down. I'm just going to knock it out and get that off my plate completely. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to come back to it.
0: What's different then versus the time on another shift that could happen at that same moment when you don't have that mindset.
1: It's kind of this compounding factor. I I mean, you just get more and more tired, the more overwhelmed you get. Mm -hmm. And so it just, the situation gets worse it's like quicksand kind of. Mm. You have one more chart to do. Eh, no big deal. I'll let that slide. And then before you know it, you're drowning in double digit charts that you need to complete.
0: We're not actually talking about this moment. This moment, it doesn't matter. In this moment, it matters at that hour after the end of the shift. So this is quicksand that you're going to be trapped in Mm -hmm. at the end of your shift. Mm -hmm. How do we tie those two things together?
1: I think I have to call it out when it happens, have some sort of like inner dialogue that like, hey, no, 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 you're not going to let that go towards the end of shift. We have to do this now. And when I've done that, when I have done that one chart, I'm like, oh, great, let's do another chart. Mm. And before you know it, you have no charts left
0: well, let's put something into place and try it. We're putting a whole framework here with some little micro elements, Mm -hmm. but we're identifying the pain points, the pool of a black hole away from doing this. So here you have this quicksand moment of not doing that one chart. It's a slippery slope. It it builds, it's a catalyst. So you said to call it out. How might you do that in real time? Like how could you keep yourself accountable or how could you remind yourself?
1: So I think one of the ways I could do it is look at like maybe the seven or eight hour mark of my shift say it's a 10 hour shift and look to see what my charts are like and there's one part of our emr where we can see kind of like all the patients that we've disposed, and it will show you like where your documentation is and so i think if i set a strict time limit maybe i, I think I'll, I'll just probably set an alarm on my phone into that shift And that will be my time to check on my charts. And if I have not done charts, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to do two of them because that is three to five minutes for two charts.
3: I'm going
0: to show you something. I'm going to open up our whiteboard here. All right. And I'll show you what's going on in this moment. Ah, That's a
1: real whiteboard, man. It is. I know. I did. I spent a
0: summer doing caricatures on the Jersey Shore. (laughs) But here's you and here you go this is your comfort zone and believe it or not your comfort zone is not documenting during your shift that's the easy thing to come back to especially when you're tired Mm -hmm. now over here this is joy this is possibility this is one hour after your shift if i Do my chart? I can get there, but what happens is you have to work through this wall of
2: pain.
0: (laughs) So in these moments, at the seven-hour mark, you're in your comfort zone. It's like, okay, I'm gonna document my chart. I'm gonna. It's like, oh god, it's just it's just too hard. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do it. I'm coming right back to my comfort zone. This is going to hurt to do this chart, you're going to have to go through this wall, the wall of pain to get to that point, that joyous point that you described that oh, it's the end of my shift. I got my charts done. Here's your bubble, your comfort zone bubble. Know that this wall will be there. Mm-hmm. This wall is the fatigue. This wall is the accumulated tasks. This wall is everything else that you have to do. Now, if there's critical patient. You gotta go manage it. That's not this. This is, oh, everything's kind of quiescent or things are working, you know, people are waiting. Yes, but here I to do this procedure for me. I'm going to have to work through this pain or this discomfort. How does this imagery land with you?
1: This is perfect because that's a perfect representation of my inner feelings of when I have to address these charts.
0: (laughs) Okay. This will be a lifetime of work, 20 years in, even knowing that this was a thing I was going to do, I still felt the pull of coming back to the comfort zone and, Ah, I just, I'll just kind of do this thing and not get back to this chart. It's always going to be uncomfortable. For some people it's not, they're just like, oh, wait minute, I'm just going to do my chart. Yeah. For you, it is. Call out the quicksand, no, it's gonna hurt, Can I work through that. It is continual work. So here we have our layers. We have our first layer, stabilization. Our second layer, assessing three new patients. Our third layer, batching results, running the board, the team huddle, Mm -hmm. delegating, calling consultants. Fourth layer, patient dispo on three with documentation. Wow. 90 seconds to two minutes. Amazing. When you think about that time, that's less time than you're drooling, staring at that lactate, wondering how important it is.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Or just like, thinking about what my next thing to do is.
0: Speaking of next things to do, we have procedures. There's never a good time to do a procedure. Just never. You're the rate limiting step. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of the pools that keeps you from doing procedures is that new patients have come in. Mm -hmm. Also that there are disposed to do. Mm -hmm. If you have a let's say, I don't know. What do you want to do? What do you want to say? You want to say a lack? You want to say an LP? You want to say a central line? Yeah. What's, say,
1: what's, say a lack because that's going to be the most common thing that we yeah, have to address. Great.
0: It's a lack. Yeah. So, laceration repair. You see that laceration, what's going to pull you away from doing it? What are all of the things?
1: Really, any sort of interruption can cause an issue. Or the thing that I struggle with most is making sure everything is there at the bedside so I don't have to make multiple trips. So, what I've tried to do for all my procedures is ask a technician or one of the nurses, like, this is what I need. Can you bring it to the bedside and either come grab me when you have everything ready and the patient's ready for this procedure and I'll knock it out or just put it in the comments on our tracking board and I'll be right there. So, I've tried to delegate kind of them doing all the supplies, all the equipment, bring it to the bedside, having the patient prepped, ready to go and then I can go in. I can do the procedure and get everything done, and they're out. Sometimes it's, easy, it's a little bit easier said than done.
0: Before you go into do this procedure, do you want to get things going on people you haven't seen?
1: Yeah. So if I can, I want to get orders put in so everyone's course is moving forward. Okay. And if I can make an easy disposition, so like I can discharge a patient, I want to discharge that patient.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the pull is, to discharge that patient without doing the documentation because I have that procedure hanging over my head at that point. What I've tried to do recently is, like if it's an ankle sprain or something, something like super easy, do the documentation on that and then I'm done. But if it's more complicated patient, say I've admitted them, I'm going to let that chart slide, unfortunately.
0: When you come out of your procedure. Would it be in the realm of possible to address those sliders that you let go?
1: Yeah. While I'm doing that chart, absolutely.
0: The fifth layer, your rate limiting steps, completing procedures. This is why after night shifts, you end up having like two LPs because Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I just, i let them wait or whatever. You're blocking out the time. What can't wait? We know that you're going to retriage and say, Mm -hmm. are there any critical crashing patients? Is there critical patient intake? Mm-hmm. Are there any things I need to attend to so I don't get interrupted? And granted, you're going to be doing this laceration and an EKG is going to be put on that patient's leg for you to look at. It's just going to happen. Yep. What I heard you say, if there's new patients, you'll kind of do a little thin slice on mm-hmm. the computer and put in your orders for the ankle sprain or the nursemaid's elbow. Okay. bump, bum, bump. Bum, I'll document that. But if there's something complicated, if there's a procedure, maybe let that slide and then when you're done with the procedure, document procedure, and then you address the slider. Correct. What are we incomplete on for this structure? I think we've hit
1: my big areas of, or my big obstacles on shift. Because we hit the, mid, the mid-shift the mid issue of what we need to be thinking about in terms of priorities when we get to that mid-shift kraken. And we talked a little bit about the quicksands with the documentation. Those are my big things.
0: All right. I'm going to, I'm going to share the screen and I'm going to show you this, the the notes that I've been taking here. And I want you to walk through this in real time. And I want you to be just the devil's advocate. And I want you to tell me and yourself, okay, why is this not going to work? And then we'll adjust. Talk through it and let's see where
1: it's going to fall apart. Right. So first layer, completely agree. Stabilizing, managing those critical patients. Second layer, three new patients. Work up, put in orders, and then bring in a cow into the room and just throw in the H&P while I'm in the room and then interruptions with social socialization. Yep. Third layer, batch results, run the board, team huddle, four to five consultant calls, fourth layer, patient dispo, pressure in the quicksand, yep, call it the quicksand, set the alarm. So I'm probably going to do like... Six, seven hours into shift to make sure my alarm is set. And then fifth layer, address rate limiting steps, especially procedures, make sure we're delegating. And then when we come out of the procedure, potentially hit any notes that we haven't done, thin slice any order or thin slice new patients, put orders in. Timing documentation is a procedure you do for you. Yes.
0: This is going to need to face the real shift to see what doesn't. Yeah. So,
1: the... The things that I'm really going to have to be thinking about on shift is the first one is I'm going to have to be very intentional about this is bringing a cow into the room and working through that pain of documenting in front of the patients with the history. That is going to be a struggle. The second one was the I had done that those first couple weeks after the workshop. I had let it slide and now I'm not doing a good job of having people wait so I can finish what I'm doing on my chart. So, I'm going to need to re-engage that. And then the other thing is I just need to make sure I'm setting an alarm on my phone either six or seven hours into my shift so I can look at my charts and see how I am doing. And then the other thing is go through that wall of pain. Expand that personal bubble, work through it and just drive through
0: it. We've talked about all of this structure as if we're really talking about the structure. But what we're really talking about is your well-being and your family and your longevity and your career. That's the story.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've come home from shift three hours late and Sarah, my wife, would be like, how are you doing? And she can see I'm angry. I'm feeling down. And I will say like, I don't know if I can do this. This is horrible. I mean, that was a 13-hour day of stress and (laughs) I'm run down. I don't feel good about anything. And then she's very good about reorienting like, what was good about today? But I want to avoid that. (laughs) So, I think with this approach, I can not all the time avoid it, but at least minimize it minimize how frequently it happens and get out within that hour.
0: I want you to print this out, take your crack and emergency plan, maybe even have like a, like a seal on it that you can bring.
1: I'm going to get like a red lunchbox <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> on the desk. <laughs> a key for all of this. To work is that it's totally transparent that what we're doing here, that what we're putting into place is an experiment. And the only skin that Brit has in the game is to try it, to experiment and build a framework that is eventually effective for him. And it's vital that he start this with Open eyes and a scientist or engineer's perspective, right? Let's put my prototype into the wild and see what happens because we can be such perfectionists that, well, here's this thing. I tried it. It didn't make any difference at all. That's just not the case. Even if none of it works, you're just collecting data. That's what version one, prototype one is all about. All of this is version one, and we'll see. We'll see what works and what doesn't. And this whole thing may fall apart. There might be some aspects that work, some that don't. There is no failing at this. All it is right now is going to be collecting data. Because you're young. You're early on in your career. And however you craft this to work for you is going to be something you carry until the day you retire. Mm -hmm. And really, the goal is for you to be able to retire how you want on your own terms. So experiment, see what works, see what doesn't. It's almost like a game. The first time you bring it to your shift, you're going to feel like your shoelaces are tied together of, oh, wait, what am I supposed to do now? What is this kind of thing? Morph it, mold it, make it work. However, continue to apply a structure. It might be that dispos end up coming before admissions. It might be that procedures go in a different place. It might be that, oh, you know what? I'm going to see every new patient or I'm going to thin slice everyone or who knows. But here we have version one. So we started this off with the goal of a framework for an intentional approach to midshift overwhelm to flourish and not just survive. Now that second part to flourish, not just survive, we'll see. But that <laughs> the framework, how are you, how are you feeling on this now? Feeling
1: a lot better. Because I have something actionable now to follow. Before it was kind of like all of these pieces just kind of floating around where I hadn't thought out something that will give me an approach like we were talking about. I feel like I have ways to address and with your notes, I have something written out that I can like, oh yeah, we already talked about this. This is what I'm going to do in this situation.
0: What insight did you have about yourself working through all of this?
1: I'm kind of not happy that I haven't thought of a framework, because like I mean I've been struggling this with this for probably a couple of years now, and I just kind of like eh, you know, I'll work it out at some point, and I just have never sat down and be like, I have to come up with something to address these issues, instead of just letting it go. I'll address it when it comes up. I'm surviving. I'm doing fine. Just kind of like eh, you know. I'm doing okay. But okay is not good enough. I want to have actionable steps. We have ways to address things that have been really a big issue. This is the one thing that's like causing a lot of burnout. There have been multiple times where I've been like, man, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I love taking care of patients. But it's just the constant stress and overwhelm because I feel like things just fall off halfway through the shift and then documentation goes and it's just stressful and it just eats at you.
0: Is there anything that we need to put into place to help you with accountability to using this and especially for the documentation touch points?
1: Yeah. So, with your notes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to my wife and I'm actually going to have her ask me after every shift, did I do what I set out to do with this action plan. She is very good at accountability.
0: And that is it for today. To learn more about one-on-one coaching, to get complete show notes for this or any other episode, sign up for our newsletter and find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Maybe not, maybe it's happening. Just head over to our website, roborman.com. Until the next time, my friends, be well and keep on rocking.